0: So I think curiosity is a bit of a superpower in that with curiosity, you spend more time figuring out what the real challenge is so that you're putting your attention on the stuff that really matters. You're coming up with better ideas on how to solve those problems because you're staying curious a little bit longer. And then on the culture side, curiosity is a way, this is kind of why I'm particularly enamored of coaching. It it kind of disrupts power. It disrupts hierarchy. It moves responsibility from the, the boss, the asker, to the person being
1: asked. That was best-selling author, founder of Box of Crayons, and quite a bit more, Michael Bungay Sr. And in this episode, Michael and I sit down to talk about creativity and innovation and its role in the workplace and what it unlocks when you get it right. And we'll be right back with that conversation after a brief word from our sponsor. it's time to let go of past perceptions of HR. Amplify is a new model of agency designed from the ground up to support business and people leaders navigate the new world of work. We do that through two platforms. Our HR executive search practice is a new model of agency that moves away from traditional search models with our flat fee structure and advisory on the front and back end to help our clients attract and retain transformational people leaders. Our Amplify Accelerator is a unique platform to support continuous learning and build readiness, capability, and global networks for today's people leaders through cohorts, community, and resources to support their growth. Learn more at AmplifyTalent.com. Now, on to the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Redefining HR. I'm your host, Lars Schmidt, and today I'm excited to be joined by Michael Bungay-Stanier, Michael is an author, he's the founder of Box of Crayons, and he's a lot more, and we have a lot to cover. So, Michael, let's dig right in. Uh, Would you mind kind of opening with an introduction uh, for the audience?
0: Who am I? Uh, That's a big metaphysical question. Look, here's here's the kind of the read the highlight reel thing. Australian... Grew up happily in Canberra, Australia's little known national capital. Studied literature and law at university. Was on the cusp of becoming an incompetent and unhappy lawyer, but won a Rhodes Scholarship that saved me from that. I mean, literally, as I left law school, I was being sued by one of my law professors for defamation. So it really wasn't going that well. <laughs> That's probably um, a good sign. It's time <laughs> to do something exactly. different. So uh, moved to Oxford to do a master's degree in literature, where I Number one, I met my wife. Um, We're about to notch up 30 years together this year, which is great. So after eight years of university, still had no idea what I wanted to do. Found a little innovation company. Um, They helped invent products and services for big companies. So played a small role in helping to invent stuffed crust pizza. Played a small role in inventing what is now called the worst scotch whiskey ever invented. (laughs) I did all of that. Left that because I was curious to know why the ideas that we were coming up with weren't ever really taking off or sticking, and got into the world of change management and organisational change. worked for a consultancy, first in London, then in Boston, and then in two thousand and one moved to Canada. And um, when I was fired from my job in Canada, I started this thing that would become Box of Crayons. And after a few years of me just having a business model, which is if you have a wallet, I'm happy to talk to you, uh, it found its niche around helping rethink how coaching is taught and is deployed in organizations. And that's what we're known for now. We're, we help organizations move from advice-driven to curiosity-led and we help companies like Microsoft and TALUS and Salesforce and big companies um, be more curious. And I've written uh, six or seven books. The one that took off is called The Coaching Habit. So that sold north of a million copies and the best-selling coaching book of the millennia, I think I can say, which is... Slightly grandiose, but sounds good. Um, I continue to own Box of Crowns, but it's run by a far more competent team than, than me. And so I have a, another business called MBS.Works, which helps people be a force for change.
1: There's a lot there to cover. Uh, we, we, we have 30 minutes. So I'm going to do my right. best to cover as, as much as we can, but I would well, start. Well, ignore it. most
0: of it. I would, I would encourage <laughs> you just to pick the one thing that's vaguely interesting and we'll pursue that in some depth. I mean, most of it's just, you know, confetti.
1: Mean, there, there's a lot of interesting there. i would actually start this because I think this, this answer might kind of uh, set the tone for what the audience will learn. And I want to start with, uh, with creativity. Um, how do you define creativity?
0: I think it is often um, being able to see things at an angle. And um, maybe a similar or different answer is to make connections between things that aren't normally connected. It's that when when you're slightly off angle or when A plus elephant join together and you're like, oh, that's interesting. And something comes out of that, then that's creativity at work.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a transition to, I know that you're, you know, the, the core of um, Box of Crayons is helping companies become more curiosity-led. Um, wh- what does a curiosity-led company look like? How do they operate maybe differently from some of their traditional uh, contemporaries?
0: I will now talk for 25 minutes <laughs> because that's such a good big question. Here's the, the shorter answer. For organizations to thrive, they need two things. They need a strategy that works and they need a culture that works. And, you know, you can debate back and forth, you know, does strategy, culture for breakfast or vice versa? Or is it even breakfast? Are they even eating? Who knows? But uh, you kind of need both. They're kind of like, for me, they're the two DNA strands that make up uh, a successful organization. You got to have a way of making money if you're a for-profit business. Um, You've got to find a way of hitting your targets if you're a not-for-profit business. You've got to have a culture that allows people to do that. In general, I would say organizations spend vast amounts of time A, working on the wrong stuff (laughs) and B, not allowing people to flourish in their organizations, not allowing the very best of people to, to come forth. So I think curiosity is a bit of a superpower in that With curiosity, you spend more time figuring out what the real challenge is so that you're putting your attention on the stuff that really matters. You're coming up with better ideas on how to solve those problems because you're staying curious a little bit longer. And then on the culture side, curiosity is a way, this is kind of why I'm particularly enamored of coaching. It it kind of disrupts power. It disrupts hierarchy. It moves responsibility from the... The boss, the asker, to the person being asked, and so I think curiosity has the power to bring forth the very best of people, so that they have a chance to flourish. So it allows an organisation to be human centred as well.
1: Yeah, when you're, when you're you know kind of shifting from uh, advice driven to curiosity driven. What in your mind are some of the hallmarks of advice-driven, uh, you know, companies? Yeah, uh, well,
0: look, my guess is, <laughs> if I if I asked all the people listening to this podcast, what do you reckon an advice-driven c- company would look like? Most of them would go, it would look like my company, my, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, which is like advice-driven has a certain degree of hierarchy to it, um, a certain belief that the best answers are from the older, more senior people. Um, that your boss is your boss because they know stuff that you don't know and and so advice is kind of a there's a lot wrapped up into advice in part it's saying the other people are better than you are because they're smarter than you are and wiser than you are and been around longer than you are and just morally more upright than you are all of that and a a a curious based company doesn't remove advice because advice is actually a key part of how communication happens But the way we define it is uh, slow down (laughs) the rush to action and advice giving. Stay curious a little bit longer. Because what it means on a kind of tactical level, Lars, is that, you know, if you come to me and go, Michael, how do I do this? There's honestly, there's one part of me that just is desperate to tell you the answer. Because you've asked me because I want to help um, because uh, that's what's expected of me in my role, because you're, you're my junior, so I'm trying to get you smarter in this world and more competent in this world. But if I go, Lars, great question. Let me ask you, what's, what do you think the challenge is here for you? What I'm now doing is saying, look, I, I want to help you with this, and I will, I've got some ideas. But before I tell you what I'm, my ideas are, you know, what's the challenge here for you, Lars? And uh, Lars is like, oh, good. okay, what is the challenge here for me? So now Lars is thinking, and when he's thinking, he's literally making new neural pathways. He's literally becoming smarter. And when Lars, my direct report, becomes more competent and more confident and more self-sufficient and more autonomous, we're going to have more success as a team. I'm going to work less hard as a boss. Lars is going to feel more engaged in the work he does because he's like, I feel respected, I feel seen, I feel like I'm being tested and and invited to be the best version of myself. It feels like everybody wins from that.
1: Yeah. And I'm curious, like when, when you think of, of curiosity, um, you know, some people are innately curious, right? They're just, they're, they're, they're voracious learners. They're always trying to pick things up. Um, can curiosity be trained, right? So for people maybe who don't have that innate curiosity, what can they do to build, you know, muscle memory or however you want to maybe frame that, uh, around getting into a more curious, uh, and open place.
0: Well, one of the interesting things that that question takes me to is, is realizing that sometimes the best way to change is not to add stuff. Don't try and be more curious. but actually to remove stuff. Try to be less advice giving. <laughs> it's like, here's a good way of being more curious. Just shut up. <laughs> Honestly, because if you're just a whole lot more quiet, you're speaking less, you're taming your own advice monster. You're opening up the space for other people to speak. You know, the, the book is called The Coaching Habit because building a habit is just one of the building blocks of behavior change. It's not enough to say, ah, oh, Michael, so compelling. I He's right. I should be more curious. I will just try to be curious a bit longer. That rarely works. That's trying to ha- use willpower to override a pretty deep habit. Because let's face it, most of us have been encouraged and rewarded and supported all our lives for being the person with the answer. So you're trying to unlearn some deep patterns here. But you know, in the Coaching Habit book, I'm like, here are seven questions. In the the first chapter of the, the book is, here's how you build a habit. And I'm like, the way you change your behavior here, Lars, is you pick a question, you pick a person, you pick a moment, and you go, I'm going to try and build that into being a habit. And you build it question by question. I like that.
1: And, and I'd love to get your perspective on the kind of connection between curiosity and resilience, because I think that's one of the outcomes you're looking to build in companies is you're ma- making them more curiosity-driven. They Through that, they become more resilient uh, as an organization. And I'd love to kind of get your perspective on, on on the connection with that.
0: Well, let me ask you this. How do you define or how do you talk about resilience? What does that word mean to you? Because it's a, one of those big, loaded words.
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, I think to me, it, it's, it's the ability to overcome adversity.
0: Well, I think curiosity isn't... The only contributor to resilience. Let me ask you this then, Lars. What do you think it takes to to overcome adversity?
1: I think it's probably situational. That's a cop out answer. I, I realize it depends on the adversity. It, 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 you know, I'd say at its core, it requires uh, a willingness to do things that are necessary to overcome that particular adversity.
0: Yeah. Okay. So let's just say shit is happening. <laughs> yeah. And there's a go, and you're like, okay, adversity is happening. And of course, what's happening in your brain is your little amygdala, your lizard brain is going, panic, panic. <laughs> <laughs> and it's going fight or flight. It's like rush into it and start beating the other person up or run away or maybe it's saying faint is the third option. It's is kind of lie on the floor and pretend it's not there. So flight, faint or fight are the three options. When you're under stress like that, shoulders are up, you're you're holding your breath, you're draining oxygen from your prefrontal cortex, you're becoming more instinctual, you're becoming less smart, you're becoming more black and white, you're becoming more survivor-based, you're becoming more uh, they're out to get me rather than assuming positive intent. You're in a very smart survivor-based way reducing your options because you're like this is what a number of tens of thousands of years of evolution has taught me. If you're trying to go how do I overcome this, that goes beyond fight or flight. And those are two not bad options. But if you're like, I would like to be thoughtful about it rather than just rush into it. You're like, well, what's, what are we, what's the real challenge here? What are we really trying to overcome? And what's, what's the hard thing? And what options do we have? And what have we already tried? And what skills do we have in, within me or within this group that we might deploy? And what curiosity does is it allows you to get a different perspective on what's going on, to get a deeper understanding of what's the, what actually is the adverse thing and to generate ideas and options to overcome that. Now, I don't think curiosity is the only answer to adversity. Um, there's other stuff around resilience and grit, I guess. Um, but you can see how that if you're able to have curiosity as a pattern, you're under stress able to call on that to go let me see if i can figure this out
1: yeah i mean you're almost uh you know uh unwiring the hardwired tendency for fight or flight oh yeah um, it's like
0: your 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 curiosity is a higher level skill you're trying to override some pretty basic wiring (laughs) um so you know is that saying Nobody's quite sure where it comes from they think maybe the 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 US Army SEALs, you don't rise to the occasion, you sink to the level of your training.
1: Mm, And so
0: if you have a practiced habit of staying curious, a training in staying curious, when when things get hard, you're more likely to be able to call on that other than sinking to your, your normal level, which is like just instinctively fight or flight or faint.
1: Traditional HR and learning systems are largely rooted in legacy mindsets and practices. They're not equipped to keep pace with the dynamic times we've experienced since the events of 2020 and beyond. That's why I launched the Amplify Accelerator. The Amplify Accelerator is a platform for connecting, developing and supporting the next generation of people leaders. Designed to support continuous learning and build capabilities and connections, the Accelerator helps modern people leaders build the necessary skills to successfully navigate this new world of work. The flagship of the Amplify Accelerator is the Cohort Program. These peer-based learning courses are designed to help you become a more confident people leader, armed with a new global peer community and a toolkit full of actionable advice, resources, templates, and more. Cohort students engage in a mix of synchronous and asynchronous learning designed to fit into the schedules of today's people leaders. You'll also learn from world-class guest instructors, including Katie Burke, Caitlin Holloway, Pat Waters, Claude Silver, AJ Thomas, Tiffany Stevenson, and so many more. Ready to invest in yourself? Learn more at AmplifyTalent.com/cohorts. And so that kind of a habit, I assume, has to be practiced, right? You, you have to you have to work on that, so that that then becomes you have the ability to tap into that as opposed to you know defaulting. To your, you know, your evolutionary <laughs> tendencies of fight or flight.
0: It does, but you know, part of the box of crowns approach to this is to say, look, um, there are three principles to being more coach like: be lazy, be curious, be often. So, being curious, we're kind of talking about it. it's like how do you, you know, tame your advice monster? Being often is actually the more radical uh, of the three, and it says like any interaction can be a bit more coach like, and being lazy is a is a. Uh, called to say, stop stop trying to jump in and save the day and solve the problem and rescue the person. Allow them to figure their own way forward because A, that doesn't deplete you and B, it allows them to, invites them to step up and take responsibility for their own freedom. But that be often piece is really important, which is like, honestly, you can be more curious pretty much with every interaction, <laughs> not just in person, not just through a video screen, even asynchronously on, on Slack or email. You know, somebody sends you one of those really long emails, you know, the ones that make your heart sink because you're like, it's going to take me forever to read this, I can't be yeah. bothered. And I, and your normal reaction is to, after reading it three times, to start typing in little comments in between the paragraph breaks. If you go, there's this a lot going on here, Lars. Let me ask you, before I give you some ideas out of all of this what's the real challenge here for you send and suddenly you're being curious a little bit longer and it means that when they do come back going well actually i think this is the challenge you're like great before i give you my ideas and i've got some ideas that could really help you what ideas do you already have on how to solve this give me your top five send and they're like damn it he's really making me work here You're like, yeah lazy And often, look at me doing this all the time. And then finally, they're like, here's the real challenge, and here are my top five ideas. Then you go, great, these are all good. Here's my one additional thought that might be helpful.
1: Yeah, I mean, you've helped them solve their own problem. Help them solve their own problem. And
0: everybody just is happier about that most of the time.
1: You've used a term uh, a couple times, taming your advice monster. Yeah. Um, Tell me more about that. So... I first
0: mentioned the advice monster in the coaching habit. Everyone's like, "Oh my god, I have a coaching, mo- I have an advice monster too." I'm like, I know you do. We all, we all do that thing inside us that when somebody starts talking, kind of looms up out of the dark and says, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna add some value to this conversation." <laughs> Here I go. <laughs> right. And um, you know, I ended up giving a TED talk on this, like a few years ago, uh, called "How to tame your advice monster." Where I'm like, "Look, there are three advice monsters." Tell it, save it, and control it. And what I'm trying to do with these advice monsters, I'm trying to bring to life um, or make more tangible kind of three core ego states for one of a... It's an overblown word, but let's call them ego states. So that they keep us wanting to give advice, even when we know that staying curious longer is a more helpful stance to take. So tell it is like, I want to be known as the person who knows all the stuff. I believe the way I add value is having all the answers. Save it is, I want to be known as the person who protects everybody. I'm the rescuer. I want to make sure that everybody's protected from all danger at all times. And control it is, I want to be known as the person who gets us from A to B. You know, I want to make sure that my hands are on the steering wheel all the time. I don't want any serendipity or any randomness to come on through. I don't want to, I don't want to have to face the chaos of life. And they're all impossible stances. <laughs> It's impossible to know all the answers. It's impossible to save all the people. It's impossible to control all the things. But giving yourself permission to go, oh, that's kind of what drives me. I see I have that need is part of the process to saying, well, so maybe I can let go of that so that I can stay curious a little bit longer.
1: Are there any tips you have for people who have uh, you know, outsized advice monsters that uh, they have trouble taming?
0: <laughs> it, it, it goes some way towards... Um, just saying, I think I might have an advice monster, that's helpful. And actually, if you, I think it's theadvicetrap.com. This is the heart of the, this new uh, this, the book that followed the coaching habit, The Advice Trap. Um, there's actually a quiz people can take at theadvicetrap.com. So if they want to kind of check it out and see which is their main advice monster, they can do that. I'm, I'm pausing because, you know, there's not a one-size-fit-all solution here. Um, knowing that you have an advice monster, very helpful. Starting to notice your advice monster and how quickly it shows up, very helpful. Having a tactic that is a mostly deployable most of the time, very helpful. So the one question that is most ubiquitous and most easily deployed is the question, and what else? You know, In the book, I talk about it being the best coaching question in the world. I'm just like, if you, if you feel your advice monster rattling the cage... <laughs> Rather than giving advice, just nod your head and go, great, what else? Yeah, excellent, what else? Yeah, nice, what else? And what else is a question that opens the space for the other person, keeps the ball in their curiosity court, and allows you to stay curious, even though your advice once is going, just tell them the thing.
1: <laughs> right. So, you know, you, you've written six or seven books. Your, your latest book is How to Begin. Uh, I want to learn more about that. But before we get to how to begin... The process of writing a book uh, can be daunting for a lot of people. The process of writing multiple books uh, very daunting, and multiple books having a book selling uh, at the level that yours has also very daunting. And it, what is your process like? Like, how do you get from having these ideas in your head to like formulating them and 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 thinking, you know, what this is another book? I need to I need to get writing again.
0: There's a few things going on. First of all, I have ideas for books quite often. So, I write them down and I throw them in my little folder called Ideas for Books Um, because mostly the ideas aren't very good. And then when I look back in the folder, sometimes I just find I've had the same idea 96 times. (laughs) I'm like, (laughs) okay, that's telling me something here. The second thing that I'm asking is why would I bother writing a book? Because it's a miserable experience for the most part. And that's, you know, and I know how to write a book, (laughs) it's still a miserable experience. First draft is hard and disappointing the second draft is actually a backward step rather than a forward step it's it's something to try and craft your ideas into something that has shape and voice and texture and originality there's some reasons to write a book one is bucket list sort of stuff i just want to write a book Um, secondly is i'm a great writer and writing is the best way for me to share my ideas um, and thirdly is, this is a, it's, it's not just a book, it's part of a business. And I reckon that I'm, I, I think I'm a pretty good writer. I've, I've been writing for many years now. So I've got a voice and I've got a style and I've got a, a way that I try and make complicated stuff feel simpler and more accessible. But often the stuff that I'm writing, I'm like, I, even if I don't sell any copies of my book, because you have to work on the assumption that you're going to sell less than a thousand copies of your book. Most books do. Yeah. So you're like, knowing that you're gonna sell less than a thousand copies, is it still worth writing this book? <laughs> That's a pretty good question. Um, and for me it often is, because I have businesses that are built around the the ideas and the intellectual property that are in the book. So even if I don't sell many copies of the book, I can still create impact and create and generate some money as well as part of that. So there's all those kind of pre-questions. Then for me, um, the thing that gets me going is when I finally have the shape of the book figured out. You know, for me, I want my, my design philosophy is what's the shortest book I can write that is still useful? So I'm trying to write less rather than more. I'm trying to make people want to read the next page. And I'm trying to give it an art so there's a story to it or a sense of progress to it. You know, with the new book, How to Begin... You know, it took me quite a while to get there, but basically, three sections, each section, three exercises. So, nine exercises in total. So, it has a symmetry and it has a balance and it has a kind of pattern to it that feels right. And took me a bunch of time to figure out what, in retrospect, it now seems bleedingly obvious. You know, with the coaching habit, nine questions, four questions, 194 questions finally figured out that seven questions with little interstitial things around how to ask questions well was the right combination. I'm like, oh, I've got the shape of it now. Once I have the shape of it, then there's a question of writing it. And then for me, that's a question of just making it a daily act. You know, I'm trying to write somewhere between five hundred, a minimum of five hundred words a day, and having a deadline. You know, I have an editor who's like, like I'm trying to write a book at the moment and I need to get my first draft to her by, uh, I think it's like in six weeks' time. Which is quite terrifying because oh, I really yeah. haven't made much of a start on this book yet. So, anyway, but I think <laughs> I know. What, I think, but I've got the shape of it. So knowing that I have the shape of it makes me feel confident that in six weeks' time I'll have a shitty first draft. And that's that's part of the experience. Is like here's my deeply disappointing shitty first draft.
1: The shitty first draft is the is the good start to any any book. I think I don't think there's any any author who submitted uh, an excellent perfect first draft. Uh, that, you know, let, led to a great book. Um, what, okay. So if, if, uh, viewers and listeners, they want to dig more into your work, I know you have, uh, you know, a a library of books at this point you've released, what's the right sequence for them? Like if they wanted to maybe kind of start with perhaps the coaching habit, or maybe that's not the right book to start with, like what, how should they be looking at your work?
0: Yeah. It depends what they're looking for. Um, if people are like, how do I make, how do I unweird coaching? Then the coaching habit followed by the advice trap is the right pairing of books for that. It's just like it's all about practical coaching skills so that written for people who aren't trying to be coaches but are trying to be curious a little bit longer. So you know, I literally wrote it for you know, I imagined a person she's a she's a vice president, she leads a team. She's she's she likes her job and she likes her team. She's doing the best they can, but they've just they're, they're topping out what they can do and she's exhausted and frustrated. And she walks into the airport bookstore and here's a book that's short enough and readable enough that it can fit in her purse and she can read most of it on a flight. And I wrote the book for her. <laughs> um, and it's really written generally for people who are like, I just want to up my game in being a better manager and a leader and a human being in the work context. So those two works together. Um, how to begin is, is slightly less work oriented it's about how do you set a worthy goal a goal that's thrilling and important and daunting so that you can claim ambition for yourself and for the world so it this does work within the context of organizations but it also is an individual thing which is like how are you spending your life <laughs> you get one shot of this are you doing the stuff that matters and I understand how ferocious the pull of the status quo is away from the stuff that matters. This book can help you claim what you want to be doing.
1: Well, Michael, last question for you. I, I've really enjoyed learning about your, your approach, uh, your books and just the way that you think. I think there's a lot for listeners to learn in that. Thanks, where, where do you get inspiration? Where, where do you, you know, I think you, you obviously you're, you're, you're a prolific writer. You're, you're doing a lot of work in the creativity space. Like where, where do you get inspiration?
0: Well, I'm, I mean, I, am, I'm a, I read a lot and I try and read diversity. I mean, I'm just going to take my camera off my screen. You know, if you look down there, those, those are all my unread books at the moment.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: and there's like piles on the floor and stuff. And over there are the books. I'm trying to write three books this year. So as you look over, over there, those are, that's, that's for the book I'm trying to write at the moment and then that's for the book that comes after the book I'm trying to write at the moment. then that in the the box in the corner is full of other books that I'm trying to write on the top. So I I read a lot. I I subscribe to a a wide range of newsletters. Um, I read a lot of fiction. Like my wife is a PhD in literature and I have a master's degree in literature. So I read science and I read business and I read fiction. I read young adult. And I also just try and find interesting people to talk to. Like I have a podcast called Two Pages with MBS where I invite interesting people to come and read their favorite two pages from a favorite book. And that's really interesting because I'm like, I don't know these people, but they're fascinating and they're sharing a book that's moved them and shaped them in some way. So I think I, I, I spend time trying to curate my incoming to try and keep me interested and interesting.
1: Well, Michael, I really enjoy the conversation. Um, if viewers and listeners want to find your books, uh, where, where's the best place they can go? Yeah,
0: you know, most places you buy books will have some idea of what the books are. Um, if you want bonuses and additional content and the like, if you go to mbs.works, that is the, the hub for the books, for some of the courses that I've created, for the newsletter I have, for the podcasts that I have. So if you're like, I just need a whole lot more, Michael, The website is mbs.works.
1: All right, mbs.works. You can get yourself much more, Michael. And uh, I really appreciate you making the time to to share your work with us in the podcast. Yeah,
0: my pleasure, Lars. Thanks for having me on.
1: Thanks for tuning into this episode of Redefining HR. For more information on the podcast, past episodes, future guests, the Redefining HR book, or free resources, be sure to check out redefininghr.com. And if you dig this podcast, why don't you share it with your CEO, your executive team, and your friends to help them discover what redefining HR is all about. If you really dig this podcast, I'd love for you to leave a review on whatever podcast delivery vehicle your ears prefer. See you next week.